Gaming NBS, episode 220, coming to you Wednesday, December something, 2018. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. For those who've been with us before, good to have everybody here. Gathered around the old campfire. It's starting to get cold, Sean. It was 14 degrees when I got up this morning. Yeah. I mean, that was outside, not like in my house. So, You know how many people at work, when I say, yeah, it was 14 degrees at home, I literally have people at work going, in your house? I'm like, did you fucking grow up in Wisconsin? How, how do you not know I mean outside? Three people did that to me today. And the first person, I'm like, oh, you're being funny. No, no, they weren't. They really weren't being funny. So it wasn't in your house is what you're saying? I feel sad for people like that. Anyway, let's see here. New cra- Anything crazy happened to you? You didn't almost drown or anything like that? You didn't, no, like, nothing. Your dog didn't like jump off a cliff. You had to no. parasail to save it or something crazy? No. No, no this week has been relatively low-key. That's good. Yeah, I've actually had a day off here and there. I like it. Oh, I think we can say as, a, as the subject of a quasi-PSA is that if in uh, in your resume world we're looking for jobs and so forth, if you burn the bridge behind you, that may not be a good idea. Because someday, true. somehow, some way, you might need a guy like Sean to help you find that job you need. So uh, don't... Uh, Sometimes people like hear around me go, ah, fucking recruiters. I would say, hey, hey, those recruiters, <laughs> they get me jobs, man. Don't don't hate on these people. Oh man, I don't want to go into business. No, I'm Be- just saying. I'm just saying. Just don't. If you're gonna burn the bridge, at least leave a little bit behind, and uh, you know, don't don't salt the earth behind you. Don't do it. Just don't. Just don't. It's a bad idea. Anyway, so shall we? Yeah, that's a whole topic for another That's podcast. a different podcast, different show. <laughs> anyway, in the PSA matter of things. So let's see. Do, do, do announcement wise. So December 18th. You know what that day is, Sean? <gasps> what is December 18th? Wait, 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 Brett. Wait, 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 wait. wait hold you got on, something? Hold on, you got hold on. something? Avalon Kickstarter is live December <gasps> 18th. I don't. I need a more robust applause because that seemed. <laughs> that seemed. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. That's probably the number of people like, yay, <laughs> go shut up. Once this is done, maybe he will stop fucking talking about that. No, but anyway, that, that's fantastic, Brett. And I'm very pleased. And in honor of that, you gave a little sneaky sneak to to some people, right? Yes, on our patronage, in the spirit of making sure our patrons get a chance to see stuff before other people, I had. Uh, Matt Morrow from uh, he's done a lot of work from Code Designs and a uh, hell of an artist. He did a uh, a quick mock up sketch for the lamplighters and like first go I'm like fuck me he damn near nailed it with two tweaks I'm like there it is that's a lamplighter. And then he produced this wonderful city scene all black and white just the way I like it and it was it was really cool so I shared that out so as I get bits and pieces like that as things start to come through. I'll do my damn to share that. And another thing, if you're interested, I know not everybody are actual play uh, podcast folks to listen to us, but if you are interested in Avalon at all, one of the things that Chris Nizak is doing on Mr. Director Mark is he's re-releasing the Streets of Avalon podcast that we did the actual play. And in the re-release, in episode two, he read from the book, the forthcoming book. He read some a couple excerpts. He's going to do that in a couple more of them going forward just to give teasers like, hey, this is in the book, hey, this text is there, and so on, which I think is pretty freaking cool. So that was pretty nice. So anyway, December 18th. Sean, I think, I think I've got them convinced to put like a $2,000 goal out there because Sean promised oh. to pledge at the highest level possible. So uh, I, th- I think we got this. I think we got him. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited. I'm excited, scared, excited, nervous, the whole bit, but it'll be cool. It'll be a lot of coolness. So, yeah, so if you, so you post that one to Patreon, are you going to post it publicly, that one that you sent? That you yeah, what I'll with? probably do is I'll throw it out on what's, le- what's left of G+, our Facebook group, and over on MeWe, I'll give it to listeners and so on. And right. uh, once it's out there, then my hope is that listeners will see it, go, wow, this is really cool, and then tell their friends type yeah. of thing. 
because I don't and then want there's it. An, there's another one coming. Yes. Yep. I got. Yep. I've got more stuff. More stuff. More goodies. So more sneaky, sneaky sneaks. That's the idea. So if you're a patron, even at a dollar level, the the rule for our patron is anybody who's a patron at any level, no matter what we put out there, is always going to have sneaky peek first. That's the idea. Yeah. And that, but you, not everything will go out to the public, but you know, anything that will, we will try to get out there. But if you want, you know, to see it a week or whatever beforehand, that's the way to do it. Um, once the, uh, the other piece is once the Kickstarter is live, I just don't want to lose this. If people have questions about it, like, Hey, uh, once it's live, if somebody doesn't understand the level, I mean, I I've seen it and I know what Chris, Phil and the guys at Encoder are going to do with us here. It's going to be pretty straightforward. It should be very easy to understand and so forth. But I also know the first time I went into a Kickstarter, I went, oh, I want to get in on this thing. It seems cool. And I'd never done it before. And for some bizarre reason, you're like, hey, I want to support this Brett guy. I think this is cool, and I'd like to try Kickstarter for the first time. If you do have questions, that's part of what Encoded Designs and I are going to try to do through that is people are going to ask questions and try to help people make sure that they understand what they get, all that good stuff. It should be very self-explanatory, but of course, somebody's going to read it and say, "I don't. Are you sure?" And we want to make sure that we're we're helping people out. So when you when it goes live, any questions, of course, hit us up with it. Yes. Cool. I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. What else? What do we got? Oh, other things I'm excited about. Oh, Evercon, Evercon.org, first weekend in January. If you do not have your events in yet and you plan to run stuff, get them in before December 16th, 2018, because after that. We'll have to shut off our event registration. Also, get your discounted weekend badges. We're talking 35 bucks for the weekend. That is it. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 35 bucks in the door all the time. Cool stuff. Do that. Evercon.org. Check that out if you have not already. What have you got, man? If you join our email list um, for the month of December 2018, you'll be entered to win a set of dice from Awesome Dice. So we'll randomly choose for those that have already submitted their email or their current patron of ours, you will automatically be entered. So we'll be picking straight from our email list um, from Awesome Dice. So every month we will be giving a set of dice away. Holy crap. And now, How'd you swing this dude? Who do you know? Brandon, man. Brandon and Awesome Dice. He's like, hey. I want to do this, so he's the new one of the the new owners there. I think and see, so he's kind of like, hey, I want to I want to do this. Are you are you open to do it? And I said, sure. Why don't we do this? So now the only caveat is he he can't ship to certain countries because okay. it's just not economical for him to sh- ship dice that probably costs like thirty, forty, fifty bucks to get through customs. Oh my god! You you talk to guys. I mean, you you grab Glenn Seal, Monkey Monkey Blood Designs, and talked about. Shipping Midland stuff, it can be a pain, right. huge pain, huge cost. Yeah. So, what 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 are our limitations on shipping, Sean? So, we're going to be, you know, shipping only to U.S., Canada, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, which covers quite a bit of ground. Considering, mm-hmm. I don't think we're really huge in the uh, Scandinavian countries or uh, the Middle East by any means, but you never know. Well, I'll tell you, when I was on, um. Chad had me on uh, Dead Game, Dead Games, right? Yep. And we talked Middle Earth role playing. Yeah. And, and he hits me up on Facebook. He says, "Hey, Brett, you're big in Turkey." I said, "What?" He Turkey. goes, "Yeah, we had like five downloads in Turkey." I'm like, "Really?" He said, "I'm, I'm positive there's a military base somewhere over there, and that's who pulled it down." It was just hilarious. Anyway, I don't know. yeah, get your if sign up to your email. Go to gamingnbs.com on the if you're on the website desktop version it's on the right hand side you just put in your first name and email address um, if it's on the mobile device you just scroll down a few and it'll be there um, and again we will keep going so the next month we'll give another set of dice away I think we're doing this for I want to say something like six months good Maybe? Lord so if, yeah seven sets of dice. From Awesome Dice. Um, we want to thank them for, for doing that and giving you a little incentive to drop your email on our email list. And that is um, Awesome Dice, all one word, awesomedice.com. Yeah, Awesome Dice. If you want to check those uh, folks out. Yep. Very cool. Very generous of them, too. That's very nice. Yeah, so that's... And then we also have, which I did not also post, we are on Reddit, which I haven't dinked around on Reddit for 
a long time. My buddy Lenny said Reddit is like one of his favorite places to go. I have not, I've toyed with being on Reddit, but I've not done much there. So now we're going to have to do Reddit stuff. Right. Now, I thought it would be awesome just to get on there and, and post die roll stuff. So stuff we find, we would just, we don't have a subreddit because we don't have enough karma. We haven't been on there for 30 days. Ah, um, gotcha, gotcha. So once you get that, then you can post your subreddit. So I was thinking, well, what better way to do die rolls and submit stuff? Kind of like, kind of Google Plus I mean, people are like, no, it's nothing like Google Plus. I get the differences, but nonetheless, you post articles, you vo- vote them up, vote them down, vote them all around. But, it's a good. It's a good place for that type of data to get stored and shared. So that's not a bad idea, man. Yeah. So we will post the link to our Reddit uh, in the show notes, and if you are a redditor, then feel free to to comment in there and submit things. It's like we're. It's like after four years of doing the show, and we're going right the fuck up. We're doing a few things around here, changing it up, moving it. Yeah. Oh, and we. I didn't mention, but Brett hinted at it. So patrons are probably aware of this. Um, and we, I posted it out on Twitter and Facebook. I don't know if I hit Google Plus, because Google Plus is sunsetting in April, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't gotten the word. Yeah. If uh, we're doing a, ske- a program kind of schedule where we have a spreadsheet where we have the episodes listed and then the subject matter and if there's a guest and any particular notes. So we're trying to keep up with that well in advance. And we're giving all patrons access to that. So if you want to know what we're talking about next week, it's there. If you want to talk, know what we're talking about in five weeks and it's on the spreadsheet, you can see that. That's always subject to change because Brett and I will change that at the drop of a dime. But nonetheless, you can see what's coming um, from us. And if you want to even suggest the topic, that's fine. We're always open to that. And when you see the topic, you're like, I want to know more about this. Hey, here's a good point. If I were you, I'd check this out. If you have hints, things, questions that you'd like to see addressed on the topic that you think is coming, throw it at us. And that's also a good way to kind of vote the topic up and make sure it sticks, if you will, because if we know that people are interested in hearing about that topic, it's much more likely to stick. Not that it it won't stick anyway, but hey, you know, if, if we're like, wow, you know, five people said they really want to hear about it. Well, shit, that's a damn good reason to do it. Yeah, you think we were on like episode five. You'd think so. <laughs> Some of these updates. So if you want to know well, what's it's coming. Been, it's been like four years and we've pretty much stayed the course. So we've made a couple changes. Right. And now this is this is like the largest change we've had. Our format pretty much hasn't changed in forever. Yeah, that's true. But hey. And we're not a, uh, maybe something to train. Maybe something to check out. I don't know. Nah, I don't like that kind of change. Baby steps. We don't want to throw bread off. No, I'll get all, get all upset about that. People, you know how people love change. Exactly. Changes. Oh, Shall we I random encounter pull it up? Off, pull off YouTube. Yeah, let's get a. Thank you. Random encounters. So it's the segment where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Um, I will hit the first two, and Brett can read the third one. You got it. So Blake Ryan from Twitter, uh, in regards to our last episode on aquatic adventures, seafaring adventures. He actually points out Rich Howard's posts on tribality for aquatic RPG inspiration. So Rich Howard, is he's out there. He's somebody to follow on the tweets. And so if you know him, great. Um, but we will link to his blog posts on tribality um, because he does a pretty extensive, you know, post on aqua aquatic RPGs. So thanks, Blake, Blake, for doing that. Thanks, Rich, for producing it. Um, Derek Pennycuff, who is local to Wisconsin, <clears throat> says to check out 50 Fathoms for more aquatic goodness. Ah, 50 Fathoms. I knew that one. It didn't come to me. God dang it. That's Savage Worlds based. Yes, yes, yes. So it can be plot point or campaign. Um, plot point seems very, uh, it's, it's more brief. So it's, here's what you're going to be doing. And then, you kind of go and do it. So 50 Fathoms, he just mentioned that. John, Steve, um, we're not neglecting you either, John. So he also mentioned uh, MeWe, 50 Fathoms. So we want to give props to those guys for pointing that out. Um, otherwise, Brett, you got Mike D's email. 
Yes, let me get that up here. Mike D. <clears throat> Funny story about Waterborne Adventures. In first edition Warhammer Fantasy, I played a homebrew dwarf ironbreaker who practically lived in his armor. That character was no more after our ship was boarded by pirates. I stood on the gangplank and fought off nearly a dozen pirates until a couple of mistakes on my part caused me to lose my balance and fall overboard. Needless to say, dwarves in heavy armor eh, don't swim so well. Waterborne adventures can be just as entertaining as regular adventures. The DM just needs to ensure they're providing what the players are looking for. In D&D, for instance, there's often a lot of overland travel that is hand-waved unless something important happens. <clears throat> this should realistically be no different if the adventure takes place in the water, as you mentioned. You mentioned bad weather for ships, but bad weather for a caravan on land can almost be as dangerous, although with less risk of drowning as in the ocean. I think that a lot of... Uh, of headache and apprehension comes from the belief that things have to be different because it's on a ship as opposed to a wagon. I'm slightly point disappointed that you didn't mention the Polaris RPG. It's designed around waterborne adventures, although it's a more futuristic post-apocalyptic setting. I've played it a couple times. It's a lot of fun to play. It kind of treats the water as an ever-present danger that only really impacts the characters when things go wrong. I'll have a link in the show notes to polaris-rpg.com. Mike, man, I did not even know about that game. So thank you very much for bringing it up. This is one of the reasons why I love our community, man. Somebody out there is like, oh, you've never heard of this game? I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that game existed. And then you look at it and go, shit, that looks like a really cool game. So thanks, man. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, indeed. Thank and you I do so think, much. <clears throat> I think Mike's got a pretty good perspective there. You know, thinking that a waterborne adventure has to be this crazy different thing. Than land, you know. I, I think that I think there's there's some there's wisdom in there, Mike. So thank you. That was good stuff. Yes. All right. Was that it? That was it for random encounters. Let's get into the main topic. Lay it on me. Okay. So this week, uh, just to hit this up quick. Uh, Daniel G dropped us a note on Facebook. So he and I met at GameholeCon. Uh, he says, my biggest thing, so this is in regards to the topic, which we are going to talk about organized play. He says, he says, my biggest thing about being a new to organized play was not knowing where to start and what legal way to make a character. Ah, okay. The whole boy, that looks interesting, but how the hell do I break into that? Right. Uh, Kojo points out, Brett, you want to read Kojo? Yeah, Kojo pointed out Goodman Games Road Crew Games. Goodman Games gives out swag to those that run DCC and MCC. So it's Dungeon Crawl Classics and Mutant Crawl Classics, right. respectively. Now, um, now, my comment on that was also Third Eye Games has Oracle's program. Correct. Yep, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So Eloy LaSanta and that and those folks have the Oracle's program. So that's interesting because it's it's kind of it's organized play to a point. When we think organized play, at least when Brett thinks organized play, I think of something different than supported play. But anyway, carry on, sir. Right. So that is, I think, something we want to kind of nail down a little bit. And we'll have links to Goodman Games' road crew, um, which he provided. Um, but I also wanted to make note that there's other, like Third Eye Games has that as well. However, do we consider that something as organized play? Well, Sean, how would you define organized play? I guess this is one of those pieces where we say, oh, it's it's not quite like OSR, right, where, we're, where we can hash it back and forth. But when, when you hear the term organized play, what does it bring to mind to you? Um, first of all, I think if you work in the corporate world and you are familiar with the word governance, I would have to say <laughs> that it probably directly applies. If you were to say, what is governance – in the role-playing game hobby, I would have to say that organized play is a perfect example of what governance is. Would you disagree with that, Brett? I don't know enough about organized play. I, my Theoretically, I would say absolutely, yes. A, uh, a governing body of people that will tell you you're doing it wrong. So that's Brett's encounter but, um, with governance in the in corporate a, world. So I'm I'm telling you, if you to, <laughs> if you told me that, it would go fuck. I'm not doing that. I'm not playing organized play if that's it. So not because it is not very sexy to say that it's governance. No, it's not. It <laughs> it makes me think. Hell, I just all right. We're done here. I'll go home. You know. No, thank you. And I prefer <laughs> not to. 
to back up what I'm saying as it relates to governance is that there is usually some type of authority that kind of dictates the organized play for that particular game. Ah, so it's it's organized and um, I get you. Okay, so when you're saying governance, you're saying there's an organization behind it that helps provide structure. So Correct. That, so that yes. it provides structure, which will allow for a as universal of an experience as possible for everyone involved. You know, Brett, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, because honestly, that jokes aside, that's the idea of like project governance, right? So I live in a PM-driven world quite often in my IT space, and one of the reasons you try to have standards and so forth is for that exact reason. So that makes sense. You have a universal experience for everybody involved. See, that's and that's where if we live, if we look at that, and I like that. Um, I would say that supported games are different than actual play. Your Goodman's game, Goodman games, for example, a lot of cool road crew stuff. You could run Sailors on the st- on the Stylus Sea. You could run, um, what is it? Uh, shit. There's a uh, Jewels of the Carnifex. All these really cool Goodman games. DCC Adventures. You could run some really cool stuff. Uh, Brandolin Red, all these great ones. And they're supporting you, but they are not providing governance around the organization of that play. They're not saying, hey, Sean and Brett, when you run Jewels of the Carnifex, when the, it's for these particular, these characters that are built with these particular stats. One, because Goodman Games... Embraces the 3D6 down the line, and it doesn't have the stability, perhaps stability is the wrong word, but it doesn't have the consistency or the repeatability that some of the organized play does, especially Adventures League, from what I understand. It's a little more, the nature of that game is, it has its gonzo components and so on, and it's more like, hey, if you play Jewels of the Carnifex, here's the adventure, have a good time with it. They want to make sure people have fun. Um, however, that that judge for the game runs it, however the players go at it. If you don't get all the way through, it's a TPK. People playing DCC are like, fuck yeah, that was awesome. We all died. You know, the, the people who are into it don't care. Where, to my knowledge, when I've talked to folks who play AL, Adventures League for Watsi, they don't expect, <laughs> they will be a little crabby if there is a TPK. Sean, you've played, have you played Adventures League? I mean, that's the big 600 pound gorilla, right? For organized play. So it is, and I don't want to focus solely on AL because I know a lot of people are like, can you talk about any any organized plays other than D&D? And we will to some degree, but not a ton. The interesting thing about it, though, is I'm interested in what you know about it, your experiences yeah. with it, and then bouncing other things off it because uh, Cassium used to have, I'm, I'm going to do a quick check while you're talking, but they had some, a lot of different in Shadowrun um, yeah. are, are, you know, your buddy runs that stuff. Jimmy runs yep. uh, Shadowrun Organized Play. So what, what's what been your experience with Adventures League? I don't usually play too much Adventures League in the, I would say, which is, this is not a, a specific term, but I don't, I don't play a lot in an open format. So I don't go to a game store and go and play an organized play on a game night. So every Thursday in Madison, they're, they're running Adventures League. Um, on the east side, and I think they run it on the west side and whatever, different nights. We have played organized play format at my buddy Doc's house. So you can, and you can do that in quite a few other ones. So you can run or play in or participate in an organized play game where it's at home and not a convention or a game day or a game night, or what have you. You with me? Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Fred's still, still found. He's getting his, his stuff together. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I, I like That's an, actually an interesting component is that organized play can be done with your home group. Yes. And I, I know talking to Alex Kammer, when he and Josh Hoyt and some of the guys from the Game Hole crew, when they had time and they were getting into a little bit, they – went to cons to play AL games as a group because a lot of times they didn't all get to play together. One right. of them was a game master. It was a good opportunity for them to play together as a team and then go to these tables as such. But as you've told me before, you and Doc and Jimmy and the boys, you'll play them at home, which is interesting because you can then take that character and it's portable to a convention game, correct? That's correct. And that would be the the big reason we would do it 
because we would know a convention's coming up and some of the uh, members of the group will want to participate in Adventurers League or organized play at the convention. They may not want to run a character that's first level. They may want to, we call it leveling up the tune. So we want to level our tune up, uh, tune up, huh? want to level level up the tune. And so uh, in order to do that, we run it at home, go through a few adventures, get a few experience points, level them up. And then when we get to the convention, we can play at a higher tier. Okay. Right. Or a higher level adventure, scaled adventure. And the adventures, I mean, not only from tiers and scales perspective, but they are, they're geared towards how, how it rewards you is universal. There's the game master does not have to my knowledge, the freedom to say you get a plus three sword instead of a plus one there. Everybody gets X or whatever. It's, it's a package. Well, AL. Am I correct? It is, and and again, not to really get on AL specifically because, but it is again what Brett said is the six hundred pound gorilla. The with organized play. So let's back up a second, Brett. So organized play really goes back to the days of the RPGA. Remember that, Brett? Oh fuck yeah, man! That was I mean, you got Dragon Magazine back in the day. The RPGA, the role playing game. Association, yes. Right. <clears throat> Were you a was, member? Are you a member, Brett? I was not. It was one of those things I always wanted to do when I was a kid, but I didn't. I had no money. If I could afford a Dragon magazine at the time, I was happy as a clam. But when you went to looked at like the Slave Lords campaigns, yeah. Um, if you look at some of the classic old school adventures modules, as we called them back in the day, um, they were modules sold that were used in convention plays, tournaments. You actually played tournaments. And I don't know enough about the RPGA to know if they actually had rules around how you progressed or whatever or how tournaments were awarded and so on for play, but it's stricter now. I mean, Pathfinder, the Pathfinder Society that Paizo puts out has some pretty strict rules, to my understanding, from talking to guys like Eric Frankhouse and so on, around how their games run in the society environment and so on. So The RPGA was I think put it into place around and I could be mistaken, don't quote me this, I think I found it online, was nineteen eighty seven and they came out with C six, which it was like launched as a module. Like it's it's no adventure. It's just the rules of the RPGA on how it outlines how to design, run and judge tournaments. This is when you had Polyhedron magazine, which was the uh Magazine for the RPGA as well. I've got a lot of issues of Polyhedron. I used to because a buddy of mine lent them to me. I do not have them anymore. You can get them on drive through now. Oh, sweet. Sometimes it's neat just from a historical perspective. Yeah. So uh, I'll have to double check and see. I wonder if I can get any money for those things. But anyways, <laughs> you'd go to a con, and if you registered for an RPGA event, it was kind of quote-unquote sanctioned, and you would compete as part of that event. So it would be maybe multiple rounds. There were always there were typically pre-generated characters because back in those days there wasn't any really standard. So they would just automatically create the pre-gens. Well, yeah, pre-gens were the way to go. Yeah, because yeah, everybody back then, if you sat at an AD and D table, man, you didn't know what you're getting into because everybody house ruled everything. Well, not only did you house rule it, but because it didn't, it, it would be like now if I played a five E game and you came to my game. You said, hey, I've got my characters. I'm a Forgotten Realms guy. I bring him in. And you're like, I'm sorry, I don't allow tieflings in Avalon. You'd be like, well, but this is my character. How come I can't play in your world? You know, that that type of thing happened. Right. And you, so if you're going to do anything organized like that, you'd have to, at the time, the tools in the toolbox would be like pre-gens. Boom. That problem solved. Right. Evil, e- equal playing field from a character's magic items and spells and stats and hit points. Everybody's got the same gear. So that's where it kind of came out of, and then it morphed. And as, a mar- as a matter of fact, RPGA, for a long time, before AL, was kind of the organized play organization from, I think it transferred from TSR to Wizards, and they still used RPGA up until like 3.0 days. Yeah, so from taking a quick look at some notes I put down around the RPGA, so it- I think Mensner, Frank Mensner started it back in 80s, like 80, 1980. And then Wizards, if I'm reading this correctly, grabbed it in 97. 
And then at that point, the cool one of the things the Wizards brought in was the Living City concept of Raven's Bluff. That's right, yes. And there was Living Greyhawk at one point later on. And I love this little piece I'm, I'm reading here. The RPGA from... 2000 to 2008, the RPG had members on all continents of the world except Antarctica. <laughs> that's that's crazy. I've heard that statement before, and it always it always makes me smile when I read it. So, with organized play, going back to governance and kind of speeding it up to, to modern day, what and the lit now and Brett introduces the living quote unquote the living campaign. Mm-hmm. That is a, a facet of organized play. So, Brett, how do you define a living campaign? Oof. Um, in your in your own words, Brett. So, I think a living the idea behind a living campaign is that you would run a season of adventurers of adventures through an organized play concept, and then based on what occurs during that season of adventure, the game rule changes based on what occurs. So, if you were in Greyhawk, if there was an entire adventure series in Ferundi, and um, Something horrible happened. The landscape of Greyhawk would be forever changed. If something happened in the realms, you would change that. Um, I think, you know, interesting enough, the the living campaign concept, I believe Legend of the Five Rings card game, um, at the point when John Wick used to be a writer for that, um, Matt, um, I'm losing, uh, Coville. Matt Coville has a uh, video on this, like the greatest story ever told, and he talks about that campaign. It was a collectible, tradable card game. And what would happen at a tournament, they would do things that would change the setting, or this rule would be invalid, or people would g- come together and say, hey, we're going to forfeit to each other. And they would do crazy-ass things at events, at tournaments, at Gen Con, and so on. So that was another approach. To it. But anyway, the point being is that a living campaign is, would be like, if I was running Avalon in such, a, in such a sense, somebody has to collect the stuff that occurred well, however it's documented, and say, here's season two for this adventure series. And this is what is changed based on these adventures that, you know, if there were five adventures in a season based on the outcomes of these five adventures, here's how the world has changed. Go at it next type of thing. That's my understanding of a living campaign. Yeah, no, I think that's not far off the mark by any means. Uh, I think that's pretty decent. And I think that's a hell of a lot fucking harder than it sounds. <laughs> Yeah, to to make that happen certainly, and, now, and, and to make it scale, like sure. If I was running, picking an Avalon because it's top of mind for me, obviously right now. But if I was running such a thing with five different gaming groups, that would be a could be a goddamn nightmare, depending on different gaming groups. But get that to hundreds or thousands of members across continents. <laughs> this becomes, uh, I I don't think I'd, that'd be a full time job practically to sort that out. Right. Anyway. Now, I ran a living campaign for, was it two or four years? I'd have to double check. So living campaign, was it part of the RPGA or how do you, how do you, when you say I ran a living campaign, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I ran Star Star Wars Living Force. Oh. For years. And that was derived out of the D20 version of Star Wars. That's when Wizards of the Coast had it. Okay, and, okay. And not West End Games. It was D20. And that had a document that outlined all of the rules and there was lots of, so what they did was they released modules in a three episode kind of order. Kind of like a Paizo Adventure Path. It is, but if, only- if I'm the only reason I'm saying this because people, listeners may know, be more familiar with that versus. Right. So that would be um, how they launched them, and then they had with every with so back. Well, maybe we should mention like how, what the components of our components are of organized play, which is um, you have the governance piece, yes. which which outlines and stipulates like character creation. It it basically it's it kind of. I've jokingly said it, it chessifies your RPG insofar as it is is a series. As I said earlier, it's trying to codify and make sure that you have a consistent, as consistent of an experience as possible. So that's the whole idea of that governance. Wrap that around it so it's a consistent experience. 
Right, yes. That's what it facilitates. Yep, so it does that. So that's the governing body. What else is part of it? You will typically have some type of incentive. Okay. Right, you'll have an incentive on the player side, and you may have incentive on the Game Master side. So if you run so many adventures, they don't want to exclude Game Masters from getting something out of it. Oh, there's dice bags, there's maps, there's... Well, some will get experience points that they can... Um, they could apply to their own characters. Correct. Yep. I've heard about that. Yep. Right. So if you're, you've run an adventure, you, and many will only say, like, you can only go through the adventure once. So if you run it, you can't go through it. So having run it, you have gone through it. So you might as well get the experience for having run it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. May stipulate the types of books that you can use. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's... Yeah, it's all. It's trying again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now and then putting boundaries will, up, just yes, making right. sure everything's in a box. Yes, and then it will also stipulate the timeline and maybe the setting. And I mean setting as in, you know, where it geographically is happening. Well, I mean, yeah, you take a place like the Forgotten Realms. It's a big goddamn planet. Right. Where is it happening? If you take a thing like. In intellectual property like Star Wars, when in the canonical timeline yep. is this occurring? What is not allowed to happen from a timeline-breaking thing? You cannot go back in time and kill Anakin Skywalker and knock that shit off. Right? You know, what, what are your boundaries? What can you cannot get away with within that? Okay, that makes sense. Shadowrun does it in, they have different seasons. And oh, okay. then each season takes place, I believe, in different locations. So I believe the most recent one is taking place in Chicago. That that geographic area. So, of course, with that comes, you know, different things you might run into, different factions. Even with Living Greyhawk, when Living Greyhawk was around, it was all divvied up by physical geographic locations. So Wisconsin was always part of Ferundi or something. I don't even remember. I think it was, was it, uh, was it Jeff? It's, it's the green and white. I can't remember. I the, can't remember offhand either. The Dakota. I know the Dakota Arms, but I don't recall what area Greyhawk. And then what happens is if you went to a different part of the country, they were probably running a different area of Greyhawk, which your character could be incorporated Mm-hmm. and take place outside of their normal country Got it. in-game, right? Hmm. So it was had that dynamic. So setting, so rules, treasure. You know, the other thing that it brings, and this is kind of, how do I say it? It's, it's not like a rules boxy thing. One of the things that I believe it, it tries to bring, any organized play that I've read, and I was just checking out that um, Cassium, did have a um, an organized play thing. I don't know if it's still running. Last thing I remember seeing Cult from was like chaos. A, Cult of Chaos. Last thing I saw was like in 2016, so I don't know if it's still active or, or kicking. Somebody out there may play it and knows more about it than I do offhand. Anyhow, one of the things that it does is when you're playing Adventures League, you normally love D&D. The guys who are really into it, uh, you got to get some stinker, some, some guy or, or some gal is running the game, they suck, or you get some jerk of a player. But if you're playing... Like a Star Trek, uh, Modifius has a living Star Trek game. I'm just checking some of the notes that Sean had thrown out here. You know, Pathfinder Society. If you're into this, one of the things it does is it usually it brings a, a group of people together who really enjoy the property. Right, true. And and one of the, the cool parts about that is if you show up at a convention and you're like, I want to play and I want to have, it's not a fixed or a canned experience. I just want to know what to expect. Right, so if you sit at Sean's game, they say, "Well, I've never played Savage Worlds before," and Sean goes, "Anybody here know how to play Savage Worlds? We're playing. Forget about it." Okay, chuck the book. Let's just go. If you show up at an AL game, everybody there knows D anD D. Is, is the is the the hope, or at least that it draws those people in. If you're playing Shadowrun, organized play, the people there love Shadowrun and they want to play in this environment and you're not going to run to that person or you hopefully will not. It lessens the chance, if you will, in a larger perspective of that person who is only casually into the into this particular component of the hobby. I just kind of like this game. If you spent the time 
to level your character up in an AL to level five, whatever you're in. I mean, you're buying in to how this functions. The only stipulation I would say, Brett, Mm -hmm. is that there are many times when organized play is pretty prevalent at a convention. And if I am, am, maybe I'm shadow run curious, then you would go, there are plenty of options to sign up for a shadow run organized play event. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you do, you don't have to know the rules. You don't. You have to have a familiar. You probably, obviously, want to know what the game is. So, I th- but they will have pregens that are generated there. That is important. That's a very important point, which is kind of the counter to what I just said. Because I have heard people say to our to Daniel G, "How do I know where to start? How do I get into it?" And without understanding that most people that are into the organized play are willing to let you, they have the pregens, they can do stuff for you. You will run into some jackass, possibly, who's like, oh my god, this person doesn't know how to play, organized play, oh, they don't know, you know, they don't understand Cypher, and you're in a Cypher play event, which I think is uh, Numenera from Monty Cook. If, oh, you don't even know this. You may run into a dick. You could run into that anywhere. <laughs> it's a gaming con, right? But the people that I've bumped into. I know some guys who came down to uh, GameholeCon a couple years ago and my buddy signed up for an AL game and he didn't realize it was an AL game. He sat down and went, oh my god, I don't know the AL rules. Oh, this is going to fucking suck. They're probably going to kick me off the table. He was half, he told me, I was half packing up my stuff. The Game Master says something wrong. He said, I've never played Adventures League before. I'm really sorry. He goes, no problem. i got four characters here. What do we got? And they went around the table do you mind playing a cleric or a wizard? We could really use it. No, I'll, I'll play a wizard. Sure. And he was in. He had a good time. The whole table went, dude, yeah, no, 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 no. Don't. You're not going anywhere. You want a game? We got characters, man. Don't you worry. You know, I, I've heard other people have horrible experiences, but at any gaming convention, you could have horrible experiences. But I I love that story simply because it was, it was interesting to me because I personally thought, if I don't know this thing, if I'm not into it, oh, if I go to the con... They won't. They won't accept me because they're already bought in. They spend all this time. They're never going to take a newbie in, which is goofy because you know I've been doing this since third grade. I'm in my forties, and I look at oh, I'm just a new guy. Well, <laughs> no, you're not. The- you know, get in there, man. And so anyway, your point, Sean, is that these um, th- these groups, a well-run organized play, allows for the new person who's Shadowrun curious, Pathfinder Society interested, you know. Shadowrun adjacent, I want to try that. They're ready to help. So that's kind of cool. Well, the whole purpose of organized play is to keep the game, to promote the game, to get people to join the game, whatever it is. Oh, it's a marketing mechanism. I mean, at at some point, yeah, I have this thing, and I'm giving out prizes of some kind, be they physical or ephemeral insofar as their experience points for you to spend on your character or whatever, or, or first glimpse at a PDF of something, whatever they're doing, it makes you invested in the property. And being right. invested in a property means I'm spending money on said property, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good marketing approach for gamers because it gets people to play the goddamn game. And many will stipulate that you need one of the books to probably take part in the game. Not necessarily, but... I mean, everything in Pathfinder Society for Paizo is free online. All the rules... It's open source, but, um, you know, it, I think in order to, to reference something on your sheet, there may be, you know, a requirement, oh, you got to have the book at the table or what have you not, don't quote me on that. But anyways, so we mentioned the rules, the character creation, the award system, uh, incentives, the setting, where it takes place, what the timeline is. So why would somebody want to explore organized play? Brett hinted at, well, maybe you're curious. So that was one reason. Mm -hmm. What other reasons why? Well, the other one I mentioned was like-minded people, gamers who enjoy the same property and components that you do. If you're a Forgotten Realms nut and you find, you know, back when Living City, Raven's Bluff was in the realms, awesome. When Living City was in Greyhawk, people were like, fuck yeah, Greyhawk's back. You know, they, they were in it and they love that. If it's Modiphius's Star Trek adventure stuff and their living campaign, you love Star Trek. This is a great place to meet other people who totally freaking groove on Star Trek. So there's there's the passion for the property 
and the adventures in that space. I think the consistency is big insofar as if you are playing a thing. We've talked about this before. Not everybody wants to have a bait-and-switch campaign. Not everybody wants to do different things all the time. There are lots of gamers who love Dungeons & Dragons, and that's what they like to play. Sean, I, have, uh, we, we've, I work with the one guy, John, now, and uh, they're finally changing from Pathfinder to 5e just to change it up a little bit. But he played Pathfinder forever, and that was the only game they played. He was un- literally unaware of other games that were similar to Pathfinder because they paid no attention to them. They paid no heed at all. And that's nothing wrong with that. That's his fun, and he's having a hell of a good time doing it. So anyway, I think... Uh, where the hell am I going with this? The consistency, I think, draws certain people in. I know if I show up at this convention, especially, and I want to play some D&D with a group of people, like-minded, I understand the system, I know what the general rules are, I don't have to worry about Brett doing some weird-ass house rule that, oh yeah, I do instant death on a you know double one, sorry you died. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Everything, not everything, but most things are codified. They're, they've got the right stuff around it to help ensure a consistent and repeatable um, type of experience. So I think that draws people to, at least it would to me. If I was into that thing, that would draw me to it. Yes. There is a little bit of a, ooh, I want to collect all the things. Oh, totally. You've got, I mean, you watched at GameOcon, we saw the people that are into uh, True Dungeon. The men and women with bandoliers, literally like four inch wide, six inch wide bandoliers across their chests and back loaded with the pogs that they use to play that game with. They want to collect them all. And there are people, and uh, a negative I've heard about um, organized play is it feels grindy. It feels like all I'm trying to do is level up. All I'm doing is blah, which to me, I'm like, well, if that's what you think, then it's probably not your environment. But if you like advancing, you know, with this, like, hey, I went through five of these, I'm now level four. I went through three more, I'm now level six. I went through here to here to here. It, there's a level of, I would call it predictability, and probably somebody will, will be a little cranky at me for that. But I think there's a predictable component to it that people enjoy. For, and I'm taking this from people I've talked to. And there's usually a meta plot. Also, there's an overarching plot that's usually taking place. Not always, but usually um, they're tied together throughout the timeline. Ga- uh, adventurers. I'm going to break in right there. So just a second. When they started, when you're in AL, and like, hey, Ravenloft is back. There's entire Ravenloft s- scenarios going out there. Yes. If you love the property and want to be in on like the bleeding edge of what they're talking about, they hit AL first. Like well, a lot the, of, I all mean, the from major a books are all the major books are AL compatible. Yeah, yeah. So the the stuff they're doing all funnels towards that because they're supporting the play. Right. And I would I would love to believe that that is a lot of what the organized play people are doing. Anything if it's cool and going on, much like we're trying to do with our patrons, they want to give that type of insight to the people who are supporting the product that heavily. Right. Um. You can buy adventures usually, so I think they're like just under four bucks for Shadowrun. I think they're about five bucks for Pathfinder Society. They used to do back in the day where they were like free adventures. You could just download them. You know, then you got people trying to create content and they're not getting paid for it. And frankly, you know, you get a wishy wash of quality that way. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, having adventures for three or four or five bucks isn't a bad thing. And most people will offset that either the con will get it, you know, and they can disseminate it or, uh, the whole game group may chip in a couple bucks each Mm -hmm. and then, you know, buy it for the game master to go and buy it. Sometimes tenacious game masters that have deep pockets will just go out and buy certain adventures and just run them. Um, you know, so that's one thing. So if you are interested in organized play, the first thing that you will want to do is go to the organized play website and then find the reference document that they have. They usually have some type of document that will outline everything that you need to know about organized play. Like we mentioned, how to create a character, 
There's also mm-hmm. reporting sometimes that is involved. So that way there's a central repository of how things are. I don't know if it's as stringent as it used to be. It used to be where it'd be like, okay, I got to report all this. It goes up to the central website. They keep track of all that stuff. They and some of that's game, game mastering it. versus playing, right? Sometimes players get get away with, as we jokingly say, <laughs> trying to goddamn players. Sometimes they get away with all, all they have to do is show up and play. Where game masters need to provide data sometimes, or both. I, I don't know enough about <clears throat> the different components. Yeah, they don't do it as much anymore because it used to be tied, at least with Wizards, it used to be tied to your DCI number, and so you could actually track what, you know, and Pathfinder had the same similar, you know, you'd register your character, and then when you would get, experience points, all that would be online. So literally, if you went to a game table and the game master wanted to look up a character to make sure you were legit with some of the things that you had, they just could pull it up online. Now, I don't think, I don't remember ever doing that, but, and I don't remember how prolific that uh, feature was, but nonetheless, I know I had to report some of that stuff. The other thing I would, I'll tell people, and this is, it's goofy, but I talked to a bunch of people who played. I talked to Jared Rasher when he played at Gamehole Con. Everybody comes out, hey, how'd your game go when I talked to people at Con? Well, I played AL. How'd it go? Well, I had a good table. I had a bad table. When you ask people what their experience is, what you need to understand is that if you talk to Brett and Brett says it was the dumbest goddamn thing ever, the Game Master sucked, I think everything about it, when people start using broad sweeping statements about all of this is terrible, no one in that no one in that group is any good. All those AL players, all of those that group, when people start start grouping things and broad sweeping things, I usually start to smile and nod and click. I turn off the this is serious intake for me to worry about. Jared, to his credit, when Jared Rash was talking to me about something he had, it was very specific about the Game Master's approach. It was very specific about the way the table had handled some problems. I'm like, okay, that's that was an interesting component to to talk about as opposed to that type of play sucked. Everybody who does that, because as we all know, the internet is a magnet for places and people love to complain, myself included. So when you if you talk to people, after you've done your research, look online, check it out. After you've done your research, if you do choose to talk to people, if you put out a blanket statement online that says, what do you guys think about organized play? You will get a plethora of horseshit responses that is useless to you. If you know anybody you trust who does it, ask them. Um, talk to different people if you if you want to. That's totally fine. But I would caution you for taking every negative thing you get because you're going to get more negatives and positives, most likely out of people because people love to bitch, especially online. Take that shit with a grain of salt. Try it. If you're if you're interested in it, do not let somebody like Brett or Sean dissuade you from saying, ah, oh, it's not for me. That statement's okay. But still don't let me dissuade you. If you think it'd be fun to try that Shadowrun thing, I encourage you to try it. And come back and say, Brett, it was awesome. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. I could say, you know what? It just doesn't sound like fun for me, but I am super pumped that you had a damn good time doing it. So again, that's it's just a piece that I want to, to say because I think it's important because I hear a lot of down talking about that stuff and I don't think it's appropriate. Right. So yeah, make sure you, you explore it a bit and um, get your own opinion about it. There, Like Brett said, it's a dynamic. At, it, it could just change. You could have a good game master, bad game master. You could have good fellow players at the table, bad fellow players. It's just the adventure may not be written that well. So just take it with a grain of salt. Um, But go get the reference document where you can find it online. We've got a few links in the show notes to some other organized play uh, games. So there, Brent mentioned the Modifius. uh, Well, we'll get into die roll in a second. Actually, we'll just hold on. So check out the reference doc. Then what you want to do is find out where they may actually be held or do you, can you run them at home? You know, do you need to buy the adventures? So once you get into the reference doc, it's going to tell you a little bit about that, where to go, what you're going to be dealing with. Um, and then there is usually with a governing body, a point of contact. So then you can email the organizer or the 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 company or whoever is in charge of overseeing that organized play and pose any questions. Some have online forums that they 
may pose those, tell you to go and post questions too, and people will chime in with answers. But I think, yeah, I think that's a good way uh, to consider it and look at it. Anything else from you, Brad, on this? No, man, I think it's it's interesting. I, I've said this before, and it really is not a thing I'm overly interested in. It's just not. However, I have seen people in the organized play rooms having a tremendous amount of fun. I've talked to people who play it who just freaking love it. They love running it. They love playing it. I talked to Doc, and that dude, I shit you not, will run 20-plus hours of AL, and he loves every minute of it. I, I, I see him at Gary Con. I see him at Game. I'm like, dude, how do you do that? He goes, oh, Brett, I love it. I just fucking love it. Yeah. It's so much fun for me. And he's a hell of a game master by all accounts, and he's a, and he loves doing it. And I think it's there. There's there's some really cool stuff about being able to do things with your home group, and then be able to have portability to go to conventions and so forth. So if it's something you think is interesting, or even if you try it, the cool thing is, especially if it's a game you already play, you already play Pathfinder, and you try, it, you go, eh, I don't like it. The society people are going to hunt you down and drag you back into the Pathfinder Society games to stop. You don't have to do it. You can play AL. You can play whatever and give it a go and say, you know what? I played uh, I played a whole season. I played two cons. I played 16 games. I'm done. Legit. You can totally do that and not even feel bad. So anyway, there we go. So why would you want to? One is because you're looking for a game. Two, you want to run games. And three, maybe it's a place to start in order to find a home game or a game group. Exactly. Is usually some of the big reasons. Or you like you just want to play, and you want to play with different people, and you want to be able to go to conventions and use the same character in different games. Those are some of the reasons that you want to check out organized play. So if you have any questions, comments, let us know. You know the deal. Let's get into die roll. Right. All right, die roll. Brett, what do you got? So my biggest one, I have been um, working with the uh, Encoded Design Crew with my Avalon Kickstarter. As soon as that hits, I will be blasting, posting links and so forth. That's my biggest That's my biggest push. So obviously, in, much like the Patreon, I would love it if Biesers would support it. But I am going to tell you right now, if you bump into me at a con, you say, you know what, Brett? I just it just didn't, wasn't interesting to me. I'll say, "Hey, that's cool. Thank you for thinking about me. Totally fine." So, for me to you, the men and women that listen to us, I will not. I promise you, I will not take it personally if I don't see the roster of every patron, everyone who's ever written in. If I look and I go, "I don't see Blake Ryan's name here." God, I I'm picking on you, Blake, but I don't. I honestly do not care. If it's not your cup of tea, it's not. And uh, much like it, much like organized play. Totally cool, man. If it's not the type of fun you're looking to have, I don't mind. So don't feel like you got to do it just for Brett. If it's interesting to you and you want it, I encourage you and I will thank you. If you don't, all good, man. John, over to you. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, the organized play links that we'll have in the show notes, D&D Adventurers League is the big one. Modifia Star Trek Adventures Living Campaign so check that out. There's Cypher Play for Numenera from Monty Cook. There's Pathfinder Society by Paizo. Chaos is, Chaosium we mentioned a little bit, Cult of Chaos, but I don't know if it's still going. We'll double check into that. Shadowrun Missions for Shadowrun and Catalyst Games. And then one that I mentioned uh, that I haven't mentioned was Game Base 7's Sparks. Somebody uh, mentioned that. I can't remember who it might have been. But they are an actual organization, I think, out of Ohio that has their own D6 Star Wars that they've been running for, God, man, it must be over 10 years now. So they come up with the own adventures and everything else and the rules, and then they run it at cons all the time. So if you ever get a chance to check them out, by all means, do that. EN World also has a living campaign. So uh, Rolick Earbiter from Reddit posted that. I will post a link to that in Die Roll because Living EN World has their own set of um, Living World stuff in a forum there that you can check out as well. But there's tons that we didn't list. Uh, we didn't mean to exclude anybody. It was just the ones that we came to and put them up on the site. So if you have more, point it out. We'll put it up for everybody to know about. 
Sound good? Sounds totally good, man. That was good stuff. So that wraps up this episode. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, next week you said you want to talk about kids on bikes versus Tales from the Loop. Yeah. So I am going to have to quiz the shit out of you because I know Jack. I know fuck all about both of those games, dude. Yeah. Well, it'll be a good time. So if you've never heard of those, that's what we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Gaming NBS. Rather than that. I think we're good. Let's move it out. Well, I'm your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming in BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Brian Kurtz, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Michael Drescher, Sky, Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Matt Cyberlick, Lord Tentacle, Corey Welch, Kyle Winter, Mirko Froelich, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, and Kevin Lovecraft. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.